Some of us have been designed to do all kinds of really cool things. Some of us have been designed to disappear. Mm. Yeah, because something is kind of going through us. Uh, an artist needs to disappear. A musician needs to disappear. I mean, there, there are a lot of creative gifts where what you do is you have to disappear. Someone says, well, how did you write that song? Oh, I don't know. Mm. Well, how, how did you put that painting on the thing? Oh, I don't know. What they did is they had the balls. They had the balls to look at an empty canvas and take their the brush, whirl it around. Mm. Put it in front. Mm. And when they put it in front of the nothing, something happened. Welcome to the Ken Van Lu Show. Ken Van Lu here, CEO of Global Real Estate Strategies and best-selling author of the Modern Wealth Building Formula. On this show, we talk about anything from raising money to building an extraordinary life because the Modern Wealth Formula applies to real estate, business, and money. And from that, we create an extraordinary life. So if you have not subscribed to this podcast, please subscribe below and check it out every week because we have extraordinary guests talking about building modern wealth in your life. Let's go to the show. I am proud to present Mr. Tom Black, writer, speaker, innovative strategist, and human resource pioneer. I said, there's a lot of, uh, to unpack with you, Tom. See, what happens when Africa is <laughs> when you live long enough like you and I, yeah, right. Everything we do makes us a pioneer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. But, you know, I'm, I, I'm not joking. You know, like, I mean, you've worked for some serious, you know, companies, let alone, you know, create, you know, a 20,000 20, mega church in Willow Creek. But you've worked for companies like the Chicago Bears, Price Waterhouse, University of Chicago, Russ Presbyterian Medical Center. You know, I mean, what are you uh, speaking of getting old there? Like you're getting young in my eyes. Like what's new? And uh, tell us a little bit about what's happening before we dive in. Well, thank you for having me on this show. And I forgot to don't forget to tell people where you grew up because I got a little uh, we're going to show a picture of that in one minute. Matter of fact, let's show it right now. I came from very well. High and lofty expectation. Yeah, I could see that. We'll see in a minute. Um. I was born in East St. Louis, Illinois, about almost 70 years ago. Mm. So uh, East St. Louis um, had, has since become the most dangerous town in America. But back then, it just was a hole in the wall. Mm. And, so, um, and so we lived back at, in back of my grandma's house for about five years. Mm. Uh, and uh, I, I thought this picture kind of gives people an idea. You know, well, you know, guys like you and I, we can come from any place. Oh, you're not kidding. Any place. Um, but, uh, uh, well, if that ever gets up, I'll come back to it. But, yeah. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to, what, what is, is I, I actually brought it up on the screen and, and, you know, I, I pipe it into the recording oh, so okay. you could actually talk to it. Oh, yeah. Perfect. Oh, perfect. Well, you can see it with a ties of a hall. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, I love, I love the, I love the front door. You know, I, I yep, think, yep, yep, yep. and I appreciate uh, my dad, my dad was in law school, believe it or not. And, um, and my mom was an immigrant from Italy. And so we lived in the back of my dad's mom's house, my grandma. And uh, my early days, we lived there towns by side. My early days was spent uh, uh, going up on, a, on the railroad tracks. There were railroad tracks 
about, you know, in a little chill right behind my grandma's house. And uh, Billy, Billy was my uncle who was two years older than me. And so Billy would be given uh, money from my grandma, his mother, to go to the local little convenience store. They had a screen door on it. And then we'd go down and we'd get money and we'd get food for her or something. And then Billy would always buy a couple of packs of cigarettes. This, <laughs> this is when he was like seven. Okay. I was, I was four or five. Billy was seven. And so um, he would bring the food back and then Billy and his friends and would go up on the track to smoke. But they had to take me because I would tell them. So at four or five years old, I was up on the track smoking with Billy, you know. That, that, but I want you to think about this today's world. Today's world, if your child is three feet away from you, 400 alarms go off. You know, your eyes start bulging out. You know, uh, we, you and I grew up at a time when we disappear in the morning. They were, you know, we're up smoking cigarettes on a track at a track at five years old. Oh my gosh, the train is coming because we can see, we can see all the things. So we hop off the train dogs. But I mean, you and I grew up in the we jungle. Have, of the world. You, do you remember? We have so much in common. Don't you remember putting the penny on the track and then oh, yeah, thinking yeah, that it made, it made derail the track? We used to. We used to smoke near the creek on the tracks, yeah. <laughs> steal cigarettes from dad, you know, and, and, you know, I, I missed the Italian heritage. So you must eat a lot of pasta on Sundays too, right? Italian. Yeah. I, I got really dark skin. It, Did you? In fact, um, when you know, I get so dark in the summer, I'll bring really? I got a ton of grandkids and, and they thought I was uh, black up until. No kidding. Nine or 10. They point the. People who are black, yeah, you know, the black skin in the newspaper, all oh, papa, you know, no, no, no. Yeah, my my grandparents for, were from Ischia, little oh, island yeah. near Naples, Ischia. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. My mom was from Naples. There you go, right around the corner. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so so tell me a little bit about you know your your dreams and aspirations. Dad was in law school, living behind grandma's. I could see it. Grandma would always like slip us to five. We'd go to the little convenience store down the road. I remember the screen door in Brooklyn, same thing. But, you know, how did you become who you are today? Like leading, oh, a leader. you know, I mean, I know it was a long journey, you know, and six grandkids and living. You know, no, I got, no, I got life. grandkids. I got grandkids who are a year and a half old and I have grandkids who are graduating college. So I just, you know, like this, uh, I married the girl who had the locker next to me in high school. You know, so her name was Brown. My name was Black, you know. And so uh, I remember when she walked into my class, you know, as a sophomore, you know, I'm thinking that that is a that's a piece of work right there. I love her and I get that. Well, she wouldn't talk to me for four years. So, uh, you know, and then back then, you know, if you I was a jock, you were probably a jock. And so we didn't we didn't date a lot. And so uh, I did thought she was a cool person, chased her to a college, finally got her to marry me. And uh, we've been married for 46 years. Mm. So, uh, and then I got kids. I got two daughters who live a couple miles from me. They have six children under seven between them with their husbands. And so that's a blast. But, but come on, I think you and I, we talked enough to know that, um, that we're here, not because of what we did right, but because of what we did wrong. <laughs> you can hit that, hit that nail on the head again. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, yeah. sir. I mean, how many things do you think if someone says, what are the five worst things that happened to you? You go, well, this wasn't good. This wasn't good. Blew this up. And if they said to you, if you had a chance, would you 
cut that out of your life if you had a chance. And then you look back and you think, but so much came out of that that mm. I don't, I couldn't. And, and so it's really weird to get at this space in our place in our lives where it takes on the gravity of everything that happens in our life, you know, as much of it not intentional. It's so true. I mean, I, um, you probably know the book, but you know, I think it was something to the effect everything happens for a reason because I, for so many years would, I call it racket, you know, like a racketeer, you know, always complaining about something that you think was happening to you when in reality it was happening for you, you know, and here you look back five years later, if that didn't happen to me, you know, if the world trade center, you know, didn't happen, I, I would not have the, the tough skin and big shoulders that I have today, <laughs> you know? I mean, you probably had several of those events, you know. What did that, I mean, I mean did your life change after the trace Uh It, you know, I, I, did it change? I, you know, I was going to ask you the same question. Um, I, I would say it was probably one of the, uh, the biggest pivots we had to make, you know, because it was unexpected, <laughs> you know, and, and then the, uh, the anger behind it, thinking that there were a lot of people behind, you know, uh, you know, sleep at the switch. You know, and then, you know, losing friends, you know, it was, it was, I would say a hard time to sort things out rapidly. You know, we were kind of, you know, figuring out what to do. I was in a difficult uh, spot, you know, just cause it was, you know, I was in New York, so it was a big focus, you know, but so were you uh, in New York when, it, when they actually got hit? Well, not, not when it actually happened, but I had projects in New York and, you know, that, that basically just came to a screeching halt, you know, and we stopped going to New York for a while. You know, my office yeah. was in Jersey city, yeah. but. You know, we watched the smoke coming out of the Trade Center for a while, but uh, where where were you on that day, and how did it change your life? I think we briefly talked about you were signing some big deal, and uh... no, 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 actually, on on nine eleven, uh, my son had just walked, his son had just walked into the house. Oh, that was Lima. Uh huh. Twins, and they're about six months old, and uh, no, let me think. Yeah, but but about five months old, and he walked in with the twins. And as he walked in, we had a one of those big rear projection TVs. And I was standing in front of the TV. He said, "Come up here and look at this." I said, "Some moron just flew a plane inside uh, in, into one of the trade towers." He goes, "What?" So he comes over, he puts the babies down, and we're both looking at it. And um, then all of a sudden, as we're watching it, boy, about two minutes later, you see this other plane come and hit the second tower. And as we're watching it. I can remember we both turned and looked to each other and, you know, you know, nobody had words for that moment. Yeah. Because you knew that it wasn't some idiot flying a plane into the trade tower because he's a nut, you know? Yeah. Um, and, um, and, and so we just, all of us lived in a horrific, horrific, uh, not moment, but an horrific month because no one knew where it was going to stop. No one knew how far it was going to extend um, all of, a lot of us, especially you, you lost some very close people in that. Yeah. And no question about it. it you know, just happened to be where we're at in the country. I always, I always was curious how it was viewed for someone that lives in Chicago or yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was a time that things came to a stop. You know, we had to just pause and try to help everybody in need. And, you know, it was, uh, it was a learning experience to say the least <laughs> you know, in New York, fortunately, you know, came back. That's why, uh, you know, I had my head up when COVID hit, you know, but, um, you know, not, 
you know, not to change the subject, but I, I you know, I really wanted um, to get, as I always do, tap you for the wisdom that you have, Tom. And, uh, you know, I never really asked this question, but can you tell me a little bit about the church and, and you know, growing 20,000 people and all of that? I mean, I, I've had yeah. an interesting journey through, yeah. I don't know if I ever told you, I, you know, I, um, you know, growing up Italian, you know, my mom said the rosary a lot, as you could only imagine, right? The, a lot of the Italian grandmothers would carry them. But, you know, um, you know, I, um, I was raised Catholic and, you know, went, went to all kinds of churches, you know, we're, we're actually, uh, you know, at a church, but I think it's something important in life, but how do you, how do you, you know, create such a following and just the value since I've met you, you know, we've laughed together, we've cried together, you know, what, what are some words of wisdom you could share for my audience today? I mean, all I can do is, is, you know, share briefly my own journey. I mean, I, I grew up in a Catholic church like you did. I was an altar boy for five years. You know, uh, and and all the yeah you know, all the stories that come with that, and uh, <laughs> but when I got out of grade school with the high school, I think I pretty much set it all aside, and uh, uh, and then in college, uh, uh, I had to write a paper on why there was no God in mm -hmm. one of my philosophy classes, and um, so I walked down the street and called the Baptist church that I'd walked by every day going to Catholic school because I knew they were crazy. <laughs> and so I thought, hey, can I come out and talk to you about God? So I wanted to rip apart my paper. He said, sure. So I went out there. He tossed the Bible in my lap, started showing me things out of the Bible. Before you know it, he's asking me that old famous now, you want to accept Jesus in your life? And, oh, maybe I don't. So all I know is I'm standing in the back porch. I got a Bible in my hand. Uh, supposed to come to church on Sunday. It got all messed up. But but that was the really the first part of my life because I— I, I really did, it really did awaken to me a connectedness to God somehow. And um, and so I thought, well, I'm going to go into ministry somehow. And then I became friends with a buddy who was starting a church. And so I got involved with that. And we started a church out of a movie theater uh, in our middle 20s. And uh, uh, it grew uh, to about 25,000 people. It was the largest church in the world. You know, when it covered Time Magazine and all that crap. And, um, but, but we, we changed the nature of the church in America. We took, uh, the pews out, put theater seats in, we built a 7,000 seat auditorium, a grade A auditorium. We took everything off the stage and turned into a, a, a grade A theater stage. We took the choir off, no more choir. We put a band on the stage. We, but, uh, we took the pulpit off, took the pulpit off, um, uh, we, um, uh, we interviewed people and said, if you're going to go to, if you did, if you don't go to church and you were going to go to church because you wanted to find out more about God, why wouldn't you go? Hmm. They said, we don't want to give money to people. We don't know. We don't want to sing songs. We don't know. We don't want people to introduce us and make us stand up. We want to just come. So we designed the church around what we call anonymous spirit. And so when you came to our church, no one asked you for money. No one asked you to sing a song. Uh, uh, no one asked you to introduce yourself. You were able to come and go. And so we put on almost an entertainment thing for them for an hour and a half. The church's numbers were like this. <clears throat> and before we were done, I left, uh, you know, when I was 30, I left. Uh, there were churches all over the United States and still today. 
that have replaced their pews with seats. Yeah. That have taken the pulpits out the front, taken the choirs out the front, you know, yeah. put drama on their seat. I mean, they're copying what we did a little. Yeah. Um, when I left that, it became really, truly my real sacred journey. I think where you and I really connect. Mm. Because after standing behind pulpits and talking to people for the first half of my life, I realized that I wasn't teaching them anything but God. Mm. I was actually teaching them what I wanted them to think about God. Mm. And uh, the more I, I, I became friends with other pastors and other people, ministries and things, I'm thinking, this is crazy. Everybody, everybody's saying something different, you know? You can't even, you can't find a Bible verse where people agree. You know what I mean? Mm. So I, so it became very personal to me. My, my spiritual journey became very, my sacred journey, very personal. Mm. And it came down to what am I here for? How do I matter? Mm. And is it really possible? Because you and I are big dads. We love our kids to death. Mm. We would have cut off an arm the first second we had them. We never loved them anymore than when they first were handed to us. And we knew the minute they were the minute they touched our skin, we knew that they could never disappoint us. <laughs> that 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 ugh. and and yet we stood in churches mm. and we told people that God wanted them to become somebody different. Mm. God wasn't happy with who they were. God wanted them to change. God wanted them to die. God wanted them to die and be born a second time. And this time they were going to, now think about that. Think about your daughter. You know, your, your daughter is getting married, you know, mm. such a cool, but I, I, I was testing with her today and I'm thinking, okay, I'll give you a very tiny piece of paper, write down the three things about your daughter that you want to change. Are there things you might want to learn? Sure. Are you think? Are there things that you wish she made a different decision? Sure. Mm. But is there anything you want to change? Mm. And and not only do you not want to change that, love it. And I mean, isn't that true? It's so true. I mean, I was mentioning to you, I had a daddy daughter dance lesson with my daughter, and I just looked at her as I was trying not to cry. And said, "You are so beautiful." You know, it was like at that moment, I just couldn't believe it. Like here, it's it's twenty five years, like in a flash, and in less than thirty days, I'm going to be giving her away. So it was a, it was an interesting weekend. Um, it, you know, I, I'm like, I better play this song like ten times. I'm going to be crying my eyes out. <laughs> you know, but the thing um, is, you didn't grow in love with her. You loved her completely from the first second. Oh, yeah. When my twins were born, like, it was like the twin towers, you know, were born. You know, it was just, you know, I, I used to hold them both in my arms going, oh, man, I don't know what I got myself into. But, and I could still feel it today. It's, it, you know, that's how profound what you're talking about. I could feel touching them going, oh, wow, I got I to gotta help my wife here. She's not going to be able to, you know, nurse feed both of these at one time. <laughs> But um, so, so that kind of get, got wrapped into my journey because um, it was not what I had done with the first part of my life hmm. because I was, I, was, I was making up a God that wasn't happy with them, hmm. didn't love them. Like I said, wanted them to change, wanted them to die, 
wanting to be, and, and so I realized that if I was, if, 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 as I was drawn closer in this space, I realized that I needed to come uh, uh, more into this space where I could connect with the fact that whatever it was behind this actually loves me. Yeah, exactly. Um, takes yeah, a long yeah, time yeah. to figure it out. You learned it at a young age. <laughs> well, no, I learned I, I don't think I really, I don't think I really, really, really learned it until like the last, I mean, I got there in phases and phases and phases, and then I got, then I had an aha moment where I'm going to lot real fast. Yeah. You know? Like between um, 55 and 60, it seemed like I learned. Yeah, yeah. But at the end of the day, it became wrapped in the end of what I do and how I manage <clears throat> You know, and so I started a company about 40 years ago, uh, helping people find their gifts, their passion, what it is you, they did. Because most people don't know what they do. Their, their, their parents wanted them to do something. Their teachers wanted them to do something. Their, their bosses wanted them to do something. Their spouses wanted them to do something. They walked into a church or a synagogue. God wants them to do something. They have no idea what it is they do. That's the system discovery? You. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So when I did for years, I worked with uh, individuals and we talked to them simply about what it is they love doing. And, mm -hmm. uh, and then I was able to take them in the experience of, of, of introducing them to themselves. And it was, uh, it was just the most incredible thing. I, I loved it to death um, because each person is its own universe. Mm. You know? and, uh, and so I love that. And along the way, I was able to learn and understand. And then I had these profound moments um, did I tell you, I told you my Santa Claus story. You did. Yeah. You had me crying. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, 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 yeah. it was amazing. I mean, you want me to tell it here, but the people are listening. Sure. Yeah. I, I love the story. And, and then I'm going to, I'm going to keep you here just cause I want to learn more on how, cause I, I wrote one. It was the hardest thing in my life. How do you write, you know, 450 books? publish 450,000 books and partner with like the biggest monsters in the world. But yeah, tell me, let's hear the Santa Claus story oh, first. Oh, well, well, this, yeah. is sort of, this is where I think all of it blended together for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, and this is only about eight years ago hmm. uh, where I, um, I, I, I was really beat. We'd had a conference I had put on. And so I came home Well, Debbie tired. I'll go with you. I'll leave my phone here. Let's just go to Woodfield, a big mall by my house. Uh, and I said, I'll walk around until you got to get a coat. So let's go. She goes, you're not going to take your phone? It's great. So we go into Woodfield. It's got four levels. We go to top level. Uh, we're looking down over the edge, and they just opened up the Santa Claus exhibit down at the bottom. But it's way down. You got to look way down. And just little, there's a little thing down there, a train going around. You can see the people in line. And you can see the top of the Santa. And uh, Woodfield is a very, no, it's a, it's a High rent district, right? So they get the good Santa. And um, as I'm looking down, you know, with Debbie looking down, I go, gosh, Debbie, what do you think? What do you feel when you look down at Santa like that? And she goes, I don't feel anything. I said, oh. She goes, why? She goes, because I can feel him. And she goes, oh, well, I'm happy for you. I said, no, I got to go down and talk to him. And she goes, what? What do you got? What are you going to say to him? What? She goes, I don't know. He goes, well, why are you going to go talk? You said you weren't going to do anything. And I said, but I just got to go talk. And she said, well, I'm going to go to the bathroom in McDonald's. I'll meet you right here. I'm not going down. So I take the four escalators down. Now I'm standing in line. There are adult elves there, you know. And so I get up to the adult elves, and they want to know how many kids I got. I say, none. I just want to talk to Santa myself. 
They go, you want to talk to Santa? So they huddle up in the corner, come back. Okay, go into the snow globe because that's where we have to wait with the other children to talk to Santa. So finally, so another elf sticks her. Daddy, come on out. You're ready for Santa. So I come out. Now I'm standing on the red carpet. And now that last kid leaves. And so now I'm next. Like, so well, I got to Santa. Somebody comes up whispers, do you like your picture taken with him? I said, no, I don't. I don't. So, um, so I get up to him. I'm facing him. And he's looking around me. He's sitting on his bed. And he's looking around me to see where my kids are. I said, I don't have any kids. So he looks up at me. And I can see him looking at one of the elves over my shoulder. He got, he doesn't know what's going on. Why am I here? You know? And I said, I just want to tell you. Now, you know, you know, Ken, because this happens to you. I have no idea what's coming out of my mouth. You know, we just put ourselves in these moments and we're along for the ride like anybody else. In. And so I say, um, I just want you to know. And I pointed up, you know, to where I came in up there. I said, I just came in the, up there about 20 minutes ago. And uh, I looked down, and the minute I saw you, I said, my heart. And I just wanted you to know, as you're sitting here with these kids all day long, having to sneeze on your face, rubbing boogers on your leg, I'm sure somewhere you're thinking, this isn't worth it. Hmm. Um, but I want you to know that for some of us, you're the first person that ever told us that they loved us outside of our parents. Mm. And it never leaves us. Mm. And so I just want you to understand what a difference you're making in so many of our lives. Mm. So he's, Funny. he's looking up at me, took a glass of the big guy. So he bumps over and he says, Here, sit down. <laughs> so I sit down next to him on the bed. And I'm not quite sure now what is going to be happening. But then I look over and I realize that there are these drops. He's crying and these drops are falling all over his red velvet pants. And his head is bowed. Mm -hmm. So then I start crying, which, you know, Ken, for you and I, mm -hmm. it's not a, not a high bar. Yeah. So, so um, I'm sitting there on the bench. He's sitting on the bench. And we find ourselves in in. Every every few years, we find ourselves right in a moment where we really mm. cry from a deep place. Mm. It's a deep place, and he, he you can he's he's heaving these tears so high, and I can't tell you what we were crying about. Mm. But we were in a space, and um, and then finally, you know, he puts his hand at about a minute on my knee and says, "So, what do you want for Christmas?" <laughs> and I said. No, I said, really, I'm good. I, I just needed to come and tell you what I did. So I stood up, and then we kind of hugged each other. And then I turned to walk away, because all the elves are looking at what Man, it's out. And, um, and then as I look up, there are four rows of balcony. And everywhere I look, there are adults standing, looking down at the balconies at what's happening down here. Because I'm sure they have no idea. And then, of course, I can see my wife way at the top on the fourth balcony. And even from that distance, <laughs> I can see her doing. <laughs> so, but here's the thing. I, I, I pushed that gate open to leave. And mm. I could see the bones in my mm. It was like something had come through. And I realized that I had gotten, as I walked out, 
I had gotten in between the source, whatever it is, mm. and somebody, something, the source wanted to feel that they were loved. I'd gotten in between. Mm. And so as it came through me, it left this residue in me. I mean, it, 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 today, it's probably one of the top, if not the top, sacred experience of my life. Mm. And what did I do? I simply disappeared. <clears throat> so, so some of us, it's not all of us, it's, it, it happens to be one of my gifts. I believe it's your gift, you know? Um, some of us have been designed to do all kinds of really cool things. Some of us have been designed to disappear. Hmm. Yeah, because something is kind of come through us. Uh, an artist needs to disappear. A musician needs to disappear. I mean, there, there are a lot of creative gifts where what you do is you have to disappear. Someone says, well, how did you write that song? Oh, I don't know. Hmm. Well, how, how did you put that painting on the thing? Oh, I don't know. What they did is they had the balls. They had the balls to look at an empty canvas and take their, their brush, swirl it around, hmm. and put it in front. Mm. And when they put it in front of the nothing, something happened. Mm. And so, um, and then that's a particular gift. That's why you were able to come into a space where nothing is. It's safe. Yeah. And you create stuff in nothingness. And someone, yeah. someone came up to you and said, well, they looked at the building and said, so how exactly did you do this? The best thing that you could say truly is that you showed up. Mm, that is, oof, some deep stuff here. I love it. <laughs> wow. Because you use the gifts of other people and other people's ideas and designs and you, you know, and so something- And ask for help. So You can't be afraid to ask for help. So, you know, I mean, your achievements are, are beyond and, and, and you're so down to earth. You know, I just love you to death, brother. You know, so how does someone actually- <laughs> Write 500 books. Show up. You just show up. Interesting. Show up. We started doing this, um, uh, I mean, seriously, about seven years ago. Mm. You know? And, um, you know, someone comes, they knew it, they knew I'd done some books. And so they say, Can you write a book for me? I'd have done that before, but I showed up and said, Why not? Sure. And so then I've had somebody else and somebody else. And, and, and I really got excited. You know what got me most excited? I got most excited because there are, there are lots of people with writing gifts mm. and they're working at Walgreens, working at dental assistants, working for insurance companies, because there is no place, there's no place to keep yourself alive, writing. Yeah. Um, and so I became very excited about building a community of writers where I could pay them enough money so that they could put their Walgreens jobs and put their dental assistant jobs and actually get up and do the very thing that they love to do, which is writing. Mm. Wow. So, um, uh, 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 we got like 35 or I don't know how many, 38 writers. We're hardly much more. Um, and, and so that to me, the most exciting part is I've been able to, to release writers, you know, uh, in the lives of people who want books written. Wow. Um, but, um, but I love every part of it. I just, I, I really, really do. It's, um, uh, uh, you know, as we've taught, you know, that when you write a story, you, um, uh, you have to find the story. And yeah, and you have to let it tell it, you know, reveal itself to you. And you have to create covers and you know, like I just love that part because it, it it's it's out there. You just got to find it. Mm. So uh, 
I lay in bed awake a lot sometimes just on my phone looking at different, you know, things that people are saying. And I'm always looking for an idea. I watch TV with my phone next to me because someone will say three words in a phrase. Hmm. My gosh, that's a break. So I write it down, you know, <laughs> because it's uh, uh, it's just where all the, the stuff comes from. But I love it. And then I get to meet people like you who are, uh, uh, you know, I don't think, uh, if people don't know you, they don't understand who you are. Hmm. And uh, uh, you've been one of the, uh, the the joy relationships I've been able to find. Uh, Thank you so much. I so love you to that. I love you too, brother. You know, and I just wanted to ask you, um, so I know you are into a little bit of health, right? We, we talked a little bit about this, but so you said you were a jock. Were, what, were you a track runner in high school? Because yeah. I know yeah. you've ran a couple miles. I, I never took running up till late in my life. Um, well, it's a funny thing. Now, different things change your life. Um, yeah. I was a baseball player. Okay. What position? What position? Uh, what? What position? I played, uh, I played off field. Okay. I played center field. Um, uh, <laughs> when I was in college, you know, uh, in, in Chicago, you, it was so cold that you never went outside until April. So we would <laughs> take a spring tour. We'd take a, a spring trip, which meant that we were going down in February down to play teams in the southern climate. Yes. And so we went to play Jackson State. Who, as we were taking our shoes out of our boxes and, la- and lacing them up, because we had only played in the gym, you know, for the first month and a half, yeah. we were facing a Jackson State team that was twenty-one and three, yeah. and play and play all year round. They <laughs> play all year round. So it's twenty-one and three, and um, and and I wanted to stay active when we were in the gym, so I would catch batting practice. Never caught a day in my life, but there's nothing to do if you're an outfielder or a gym, so I caught batting practice. The first inning, our catcher uh, catches a foul ball, you know, off his mask, breaks his nose. We don't have a backup catcher. Black, coming in cut. <laughs> I was a catcher. Me. So, so I walk out. I walk out to the middle of the thing. I take my five warm-up throws. I walk out and hand the ball to the pitcher. I do not throw it out at second base because I never made it throw to second base. <laughs> and I don't want anybody to see this. So the first batter be stealing on you like crazy. The first batter <laughs> is the guy that everybody was chattering about with yeah. a kid named Walter Pate. Mm. So Walter Watts, you know, who went on to play for the Chicago Bears. Wow. And so uh Walter Watts and then uh sure enough, first pitch he takes off for second base. And so oh, they throw the ball down at second base. Wall was about eighty feet over the second baseman's head. <laughs> And so Walter keeps going around second, coming around third. And the last thing I remember about the game is me reaching for the ball. It's Walter was kind of short. And the next thing I knew, I was on the bench and people were waving me. Why is that? <laughs> oh, that was my tire catching experience. Not even a third of an inning. Um, like, it's funny, though, because oh, so good. But you learned a life's lesson because I was a very average runner. And okay. uh, first year, second year, because I was only staying in shape for baseball. And then we got a new new uh, coach came, sophomore year, in cross country. And um, uh, he's there about a week or two into practice, and he gets us all together. And he said, I want you to, I want you to understand this. You're running three miles. You don't, win, you don't win your race in the last mile. You win your race in the first mm. Because everybody, this is so, I mean, he says, everybody's running. Everybody picks up their pace. 
everybody's running fast at the end. So the best you can do is make up 10, 15 yards. Really? Where you have to win your race is in the first mile. It's how you break out of the sheet. It's how you start. That's where you pick up your minute. Mm. It completely changed me. I became an all-state runner, I mean, because I went out faster. Mm. And, um, and it was amazing. And, and then uh, uh, and then that, and then the, the, the second or third race after that, uh, I was, again, I was a fifth-place runner on my team, sixth-place runner. And so I was coming down and playing an invitational. We were running down the last half mile down a hill, really steep hill. And Larry's running next to us going, Pick it up, Blake! Pick it up, Blake! And he goes, Is there three guys in front of me? That's our trophy! You gotta beat those guys right there! And they're, they're like about 30 yards, ahead, 30 feet ahead of me. So you're coming down a hill. I just kind of unhinged myself and I sprinted the last 100 yards, got to the chute where you come into a chute, and I elbowed them out. All four of us hit the the uh, the pillars, the metal pillars of the chute, ripped our arms off, and I fell into the chute first. Wow. And I laid on the ground and vomited for 15 seconds. Oh, shit. But, but, but listen, Ken, you have these moments. These are life-changing. Because when I got up, I didn't know. I didn't know there was another fear. I didn't know. Because you 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 think that when you're hurting or this that you think that that's your limit. You don't know that there's another level underneath that. Oh, so it's so those two things, those two things of <clears throat> of getting it out early, winning it fast. And you know this, if you take on a big project, yeah. it's not how fast you finish, it's how fast you start. Yes. Because you lose a month in the beginning, you never make it up. Never make it up. And then take me on a project that's too big for you? Well, there's another gear. There's another gear for some of us. Yeah. And uh, you made a lifetime of hitting that gear. It's funny. You brought back a lot of memories. It, it brought me back to... Uh... You know, my senior year in high school, winning the state championships and really wow. putting, it in, went, putting it into a gear that I never thought I had. And my senior year, I had 166 tackles as middle linebacker. And, um, yeah, I made all-county um, linebacker and I made all-state center. We ran uh, the shotgun offense, and I only came out of the game for one play, which was kickoff return. So on kickoffs, I was the kamikaze guy. Wow. My coach said, you can line up anywhere. Just go after the guy and kill him, you know. On on punt returns, I did a wahoo right or wahoo left where I would circle back and lead, you know, lead the pack up the sideline. And and I snapped for field goals and punts. So, you know, it was uh, – I was snapping, calling, you know, huddle up every play. We ran – we you know, we were 10-1. and one. We won the state championships my junior and senior year. And it was just amazing. But those were life-shattering events, you know. Sure. And then baseball, you know, also just uh, I was an all-county catcher, you know, leading the county in, in home runs, and even though I only had four. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it was fun. But uh, I hit a grand slam. That was good. <laughs> but, uh, hey, Tom, you know, I just um, want to thank you so much for spending some time and, and sharing. You know, I, I would love – I know you have, um, you know, the ghost – not the, the the company where you you do ghostwriting. I think for people help oh, people yeah, write yeah. books. Get a hold of you on that. Well, I want to say something larger than that. 
Sure. Because if, if, if someone is uh, giving us a gift of listening, to us, mm. then the very best thing they can do is reach out and find some way to be in your orbit, some way to talk to you, some way to reach out to you, to connect with you, because there are very, very few people that have the gift and are authentic enough to truly make a difference in the way somebody thinks. And you're maybe one of five people who, if someone were to get on an elevator floor at the 30th floor, by the time they get to the, the bottom floor and they walk out, those 30 floors with you, with you will have changed them. Mm. So they, they need to find their way. And, um, uh, and anything I can ever do to serve you, be a part of your world. Uh, I just, uh, I just think you're an incredible person. Well, thank you so much. So do you, you know, I, I, uh, I always, I feel the same way about you, you know, and you actually do that the way you described it, that I do it to people you do that to me. So, um, you're one of my top five. Um, but is, is there you know, do you want to give out any contact information where someone could reach out if, to you? If or, someone wants to get a hold of me, then I'll call them. I'm going to hold of you. Say done. that Tom Black guy will never have one again. Or <laughs> is there a way for me to get a hold of him? You, you, you got it. They got it. They got to go through the gatekeeper. I like that, boss. Um, I appreciate it. But uh, yeah, hey, you know, thank you as always. You know, you, you always touch my heart. And, uh, you know, thank you so much for being part of my family. You know, honestly, um, my daughter is all excited, and uh, you, 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 know, you get you, you must have heard the telepathy because it was that conversation happening in Connecticut, and it landed in Chicago. So, um, you know, well, the whole TV conversation. So, thank you. We're at the age now where we realize and it's become part of our consciousness that one of us are going to be uh, sharing some thoughts if the other one's feeble. Mm. Just where we are right now. We're getting closer to that. Yeah. And exactly. um, uh, 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 with all due respect, you know, I hope I get to share with yours. Mm. <laughs> because I have a lot of things I want to say. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I can't wait to give you a big hug next month. I call it yeah, outrageous October for my birthday. And I get to give you a big kiss. Hey, okay, Tom, thank you so much, man. I love you. Make it a great day, buddy. Okay, bye-bye. You too. My special guest, I want to thank you for listening today. If you have not subscribed to this channel, please take a moment. Subscribe to The Ken Van Lu Show. Put modern wealth in your life. Come next week. Keep coming. It's going to make a huge difference. I really want to thank you for listening. As always, make it a great day.